everybody. It's Mark Raven from Kinexus here, and we are joined again by Katie Anderson to do a follow-up from her excellent webinar. Katie, thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks, Mark. I'm great, and I've been looking forward to having some more time to talk about the questions that came in on the webinar. It was great to see there was so much interest and uh, engagement. Yeah, so we had a lot of questions, and um, to help bridge the gap to those questions, maybe if you recap um, you know, the three roles of a leader that you talked about in the webinar, that you talk about in the book. Yeah, great. So the, um, please go watch the webinar too. You'll have a little more context. But the first time I heard Mr. Yoshino speak, he was on stage with John Shook. And uh, he didn't intend, to, he didn't pre-plan this, but what I what he ended up saying I've taken to be the framework really about what leadership should be, which is around leaders set the direction or target, leaders then provide support, and then they develop themselves. And if you do all three, you will really be creating an aligned people-centered culture that's uh, that's delivering value to your customers. And those are those are three things hopefully we would see all leaders doing or aspiring yes. to as a, I think a great ideal model. Uh, for leadership. And of course, yeah. And of course, there's so many things embedded in all that and other things leaders should do. But if we can set the direction, provide the support and always be developing ourselves, we're going to see a lot of um, great progress. Yeah. So we had one question that was more along the lines of, of setting direction. Um, a person asked, you know, thinking about the quote that you shared, a practical style is more important than precision when setting targets. Can you talk a little bit more about what that might look like in practice or, or share a concrete example of that? Yeah, so I can I can uh, talk about that in both from Mr. Yoshino and then for myself as well. So there, that's referencing a quote that, the, that Mr. Yoshino made uh, that's included in the book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. And he was talking about that in reference to himself in terms of when he was looking at developing the NUMI training program. This is when John Shook was reporting to him. And he was given the mission of to change the culture. And, you know, that's a very broad, uh, a broad expectation. He thought, well, uh, he didn't have a specific target except beyond like have a good training program and change the culture. So he spent some time and I tell this whole story in the book uh, in more detail, but he spent some time thinking about, well, really, what is our purpose? What is our mission? And then collectively with his team members. So he was the manager. Uh, so John Shook and some others working on, well, what should their specific, maybe process measures, their process targets be for assessing their success um, to know if they were on track with helping change the culture of the, of the NUMI plant. And so he came up with what he considers imprecise measures, but they were directionally helpful. So one was, did people have a smile or a show of emotion of positive experience at the end of their three-week training program? So this, he would assess this uh, at their final, uh, their final sort of farewell reception party. And then the second was on how effective was the, the program was what could each member articulate a few things, at least one, but a few things that they were going to do differently when they got back to the plant. And so that showed that they, they had taken on some of the training. So if they felt like they had a positive experience and had learned something that they were that was actionable. That was a sign of success of of their development and training program. So was it a perfect target? No. Was it directionally correct? Probably yes. And so I think about so many things for myself as well uh, in coaching. Sometimes I you know 
for myself, it's like, I'm not totally clear on what a target is or when I've coached other people, they're not sure what the target is. And they've gotten so, uh, I'm thinking of one person in particular, I've actually written about this. We did a presentation on it. She was trying to think about what's the perfect target and got stuck. So like analysis paralysis, like what's the perfect, what's my perfect target? And then wasn't moving forward the experimentation. There's a certain point where you need to say, I have a sense of where we need to go. Let's choose a, a, you know, a target in that direction. And then as we learn, we will get more clarity on what the specific sort of right target is as well. So it's about moving in the right direction and being aligned, but also uh, you will learn as you go uh, and targets sometimes shift and change. When I think of precision, I see a lot of examples where it seems like the target is overly precise, like an organization in healthcare might say our goal for that top box percentage of patients who give a nine or 10 overall rating, that goal is like 87.43. And I'm like, I don't want to sit in meetings where people are debating, is it 87.43 or 87.62? But I think there's a difference between setting direction and setting a really precise target, and then it's just judging and evaluating at the end of the year, instead right. of, as, as you're saying, as Mr. Yoshino teaches, not just setting direction, but providing support yes. and developing people. It's not all about hitting wh- whether you're green or red compared to how many decimal places. It's, it's more about the direction and the development, it seems. Right. Well, the learning process, and as you're talking, I was thinking too, it's, uh, it's a little it's also important to think about the difference sort of management by objective. Like we're going for the target just to go for the target versus we're setting a target so that we can learn. And so where it's more process oriented and at Toyota, they're more process oriented. You know, you and I teach um, lean principles about being process oriented. What are we learning about setting a target, doing, having some hypothesis, we're taking some steps. We're actually probably going to fail along the way. What are we learning? But it's more about the process of getting there than the actual destination. So we mm-hmm. set the target to give us somewhere to move towards, but not necessarily um, that it's the be all end all. Yeah. It's the learning process. Yeah. Yeah. So we had another question that came in that asked, what if you're not a formal leader, but you're an informal leader? How do your intentions change? And this person added, I coach facility continuous improvement managers, but they don't report to me. That's a really common. Yeah, for sure. I would say uh, a majority of my roles have been uh, leading by influence rather than leading by direct management authority. Um, And for me, it's about really understanding what's the purpose of my role and what's the purpose sort of the outcome I'm going towards. And as I coach with people as well uh, on on how to do so as a leader, you may have authority, but your, 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 I guess your purpose in developing people may not be the thing that you're telling them to do. It's how you're showing up in a different way. So as a coach, you are not there to set the target for the person that's um, their, you know, the, the, in their leadership um, sort of, I guess, hierarchy. But you can still set challenges for people, challenges for personal growth and uh, challenges for learning. Uh, but the, the actual operational target would come from, from their, from their leadership and what they need to do to align, to create, you know, to, to deliver on the operational outcomes or processes. Uh, but I would say it's about understanding what, what are you trying to do? I was talking to one of my, 
uh, the women, one of the people I coached this morning, and she's really trying to shift from becoming being the expert who shows up with all the answers to a coach who enables other people to think through their answers. And as a coach, we have expertise um, that we bring forward, but it's not in the specific problem or operational function that we're we're helping people with. So it's it's just understanding that differentiation of I, my intention is to help someone else move forward. Uh, in solving a problem that they have ownership for versus I need to come in and solve that problem. And I'd say that'd be the same as whether or not you're a, a, a leader with, uh, you know, authority or, or, or leading by influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that reminds me of, um, uh, you know, John Shook has shared this quote and it was, you know, I think so it was, you know, uh, directed in the, the development of Gary Convis who joined NUMI. And, and Toyota, um, you know, pretty early in their expansion into um, North America. And that, that quote that's always passed along is uh, lead as if you have no authority. So even when you have that formal authority, I think that's, that's an interesting mindset of not falling back on saying, we'll do it because I said so. Yes. Right. Uh, and again, this is the, where the differentiation is leaders set the direction but then it's not about telling someone how to do it or doing the actual problem solving. It's the providing the support so that he or she can actually then move forward and solve that problem or move towards the challenge, uh, et cetera. And so that's the differentiation of sort of the telling, uh, which is where the, maybe the authority comes in and the, and the support, which is where the influence comes in. Because you can't make make other people change; they have to change themselves, and that gets back to some of what we talked about. Like, you can't just like change culture, but you can provide uh, situations and experiences that help people change for themselves. Yeah. So, on um, on the topic of Toyota, somebody um, submitted a question here. I I have many similar Toyota experiences to Yoshino-san. Did Mr. Yoshino have any experiences of people who really didn't want to think and? <laughs> developed or how, how it, you know, is that something you've talked to him about? Well, yeah, I was trying to, I was, uh, that was a great question. And I was going back and thinking about some of our, uh, our writing, my writing and our, the stories that he shared. And I thought of two, you know, it may not be the, the exact answer he would give, but if I, if I go back and, and think about these experiences two sort of come to mind. So one of, of stories he's told. So one would happen was during the Conpro program, which was a intense leadership development program for Toyota's senior managers. Like this is like the top thousand managers just under the most senior um, executive band about how to learn to really to learn to lead again. And Mr. Yoshino talks about retightening the belt. It was, you know, 10, 12 years after the real focus on quality circles and the senior management thought that the, uh, their executive team had sort of forgotten how to do this. So basically the long story short is that Yoshino and a few others were directed with put together this leadership development program and the managers, it was going to be two years long. These senior leaders in their forties and fifties generally had to write a threes by hand, which was not sort of the, had become not the norm. And this is really what helped embed a three thinking at Toyota. And they had to give presentations to the executive team every six months. And Mr. Yoshino recounts how there was one manager, a senior manager who was grumbling about, you know, you're making us do all these things that, 
you know, our added work on top of our, you know, just what we need to do for day to day. I mean, who hasn't heard that before? Uh, <laughs> I've heard that so many times. And it's true. It felt like an additional burden and didn't really want to do it. And here's, you know, Mr. Yoshino in a sort of a supporting lead by influence type of role. And he said, you know, well, your, your executive said you, you have to do this. And, you know, really help. So helping those leaders just showing up and offering, uh, offering help. And he comments how later the, the manager said, oh, Mr. Yoshino, I'm really, or Yoshino-kun is how he, you know, the diminutive they would have referred to him. I'm really starting to see that this is helping me think through my problems. But he was super grumbling and, and, and not wanting to be partic participating in it. Uh, but it came, but came around. And then uh, another example I thought of is fast forward, gosh, almost 25 years when Mr. Yoshino was towards the end of his of his career. This is the the failed water ski boat business that we just spend a lot of time talking about that many people probably aren't aware of. I certainly didn't know know about it. And Mr. Yoshino was one of Mr. Yoshino was the one who came up with the idea. And um, it's, we go into depth about this, but towards the end of the project, he was put in charge of helping develop or figure out how to make the the manufacturing facility work. And unlike Numi and, and Toyota's other auto expansion efforts, like at the Kentucky plant or in, out in, in Toronto, there wasn't as much effort to teach the people who were manufacturing. They were Americans, so they they were rent, you know they had not been steeped in Toyota's culture around Toyota production system. They had not gone out to Japan to learn, um, you know, what this was all about. And he had a really hard time. And what I to to teach and develop these people. And what I find really humbling and uh, sort of more easy to, for many of us to connect to is that Mr. Yoshino's experience in this end of his career was more similar to how many of us are in terms of trying to develop um, this type of thinking and practice and cultures. So he, you know, it, it just talks about how, how challenging it was to start when people really truly don't know a lot and what effort it took from him um, and the things he he feels like he failed on in not doing it as effectively if ultimately the, the business failed for a variety of reasons, but one of which is that they didn't successfully really shift the culture to um, one of more of the Toyota way mindset. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's good that he would share reflections around a story like that. Sometimes people only want to share their success stories. So there's so much to be learned from reflections around something that, that didn't go well. Yeah. And I, well, actually, so he's always, he's always talked about the failed water ski boat business, but it was really only in the six months leading up to finishing the book that we really were able to go deep. And I, I just kept asking a lot of questions, trying to unpack like what happened in this decade. Um, and it was hard for him to go back because he felt a lot of burden for mistakes he made. But also there was this transformation time, in one of our conversations where he moved from looking kind of sad and ashen to like, whoa, I'm actually seeing this in a new light. And uh, that was really a special moment yeah. uh, for me as, as well, where he, he saw some, some levity. Yeah. So another question here, you mentioned uh, using the what and how Mm. To ask open-ended questions. So how do you get to asking the five whys by using what and how, if you can talk about that? Yeah, great. That's a great question. So I was only giving a very brief highlight um, of asking questions. So when I when I go a little deeper in, in asking effective questions, 
I talk about how it's important to understand the intention behind asking the question. So first, am I here to help the other person think more deeply uh, opposed to what's for me to go what's, uh, on my head? So usually what and how are the more effective questions to explore that. Why questions are really important too, but I caution why questions that we often bring them in before we're really looking at um, causality. So why is really important when we have a clearly defined target and actual, and now there's a gap. And now we ask the five whys. Sometimes though, people ask why unintentionally sounds judgmental. Like, why did you think that? Why did you do that? Uh, that's, not, that's not about the causality of the actual gap. Uh, so I encourage people to think about how can you ask questions about why in a different way? Um, in, unless you're really truly doing sort of more root cause analysis, like what steps did you take that led to that conclusion? Who did you talk with? And getting more about the process so it doesn't sound judgmental. But absolutely, the five whys can be very helpful, but make sure that you're really looking at causality rather than, of, of the gap rather than um, trying to discover like the um, current situation. Yeah, yeah, because that you're right. The, the why, um, even if it's asked in a non-judgmental way, sometimes can create a little defensiveness. Yeah. I think can be a natural reaction. Um, so this probably depends on the culture of the organization. It's similar maybe, where in some organizations, the word problem, like a problem yeah. exists, it's fact, it's not the end of the world, and we're comfortable with the word problem. You've probably heard um, as much as I have, you know, people say, oh, we don't like to use the word problem around here. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's telling maybe, it's just about where the culture is at that yeah. moment. Yep, great. You want to call it an opportunity? <laughs> call it an opportunity. But you know, instead of why, and some of this gets to be maybe tortured language. But I've heard some people suggest we could say instead of asking why did the pump fail, we'd say, well, what what could it or what allowed the pump to fail? Or, yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, it's trying to get to the same. Yeah, cause. I I think it's just important to think about the intention behind it and. Is it one, because you're asking it to help the other person think? And two, have you really defined a, a, a problem? And once you've done that, then the five whys can really help. Yeah. And there would be, yeah, a difference between, I think, yeah, why and you together. Why did you? Yeah. That, yeah. that immediately, I think people probably uh, just freak out and stop listening. Um, why did the pump fail is different than jumping to causality and asking, why did you not yeah, why did you not do that? Oil on the pump. Yep. Yep. And again, tone, tone matters. And why can be a really great, a great question. It's, uh, it's, it's more to just raise your awareness of the possible impact it can have and going back to the intention of asking and then the delivery. Okay, so I have a couple of questions to wrap up here related more to, you know, alignment and um, culture. So the first question is, what's a good way to start with direction setting um, as, as a manager or a formal leader, if your company isn't using formal Hoshan Conry slash strategy deployment. Method. Yeah, I would say, you know, again, go back to as, as a leader, you own setting the target for your people. So uh, even if you don't have clarity on where you should go and then, then what it, where, what's your best understanding about what does your team need to be doing and setting targets for them. So go back to Mr. Yoshino's comment, even though they did have Hoshin um, established at Toyota, you know, he was handed a very amorphous, like change the culture. But so what specifically did his team need to be, be doing? 
uh, I would say you, as you own the direction setting for your people, and then it allows you to have that conversation and ask the questions to your leaders, even outside of a formal Hoshin um, process, you know, what's the most important thing for us to be doing right now? How does the work that my team um, is expected to deliver fit in with that? And it, asks, it allows you to have those, those conversations. And that's what Hoshin ultimately gets back to. It's not, it's less of the structure and more of the conversation that, that happens. So again, separate the tool from the, from the principle. It's a difference maybe between practical and precision again. Mm-hmm. And you start creating your, your system, but how, how to, it's about how, starting to have those conversations. Yeah. So another question here is about um, personal purpose. Um, do you find that your personal purpose or mission aligns with your career purpose? And that's an interesting thing to think through. Like, how, how would you separate those? How, how do you think about that, Katie? So I don't separate them. Actually, this is the very first thing we ask people to do. Uh, so Karen Ross and I run these coaching cohorts, the K2C2 or Katie and Karen or K- Karen and Katie's coaching communities. And on day one, people are asked to draw their purpose. Actually, this is, I was going through, this is my, my drawing from a year ago, um, but it hasn't changed that much. But now I have more clarity that my, uh, my purpose is to help people around the world uh, live and lead with intention. Uh, so this was my first attempt at a drawing of my, of my purpose. But you see around the world and in Darumas and things, we're also introducing ourselves. Uh, but that, that, go, that transcends parts of my life. It's, you know, it's how I show up personally, how I show up uh, professionally as well. And I think it's really too hard if we try and separate our, our lives too much, it's very disjointed. So how do we find a, a way to live our purpose in all aspects of our life? And there can be different components of our, of our purpose, but, but looking at the whole person. So people find this exercise really uh, powerful. And some people start off with just trying to define like a professional purpose, but through the journey realize that it's, it's really about how do you define what's, what's important here? And then how does that, how does that impact different parts of your life? Yeah. Um, so then I, I think there's a related question. I mean, what happens if this is me just off the top of my head here, <laughs> if your personal purpose maybe doesn't seem aligned with the organization's mm. purpose that creates tension and and difficulty for people, it seems. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sometimes we have to be in a job that we don't want because of other factors, like maybe it's just making a paycheck and that becomes a part of, you know, part of one's purpose is providing for a family and that's the situation. But uh, I find that for myself, the times that I have been less happy with an organization is when my, uh, my purpose hasn't been as aligned with the, the organization's purpose or the team's purpose. Uh, or the way things are working. Now, I've, I've often worked for organizations that have a really clear mission and purpose that I'm very aligned to, like healthcare. Right. Uh, but that's a time where people have to think about the, the trade-offs because it, ultimately, if, if um, your purpose isn't aligned with the organization's purpose, it, it, it will probably start eating at you. And um, that's where you experience the, the unhappiness. And sometimes you have to make those difficult decisions, but um, yeah. So here's another, here's a difficult question. Um, what's the very first step? Well, maybe it's a short answer. I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a heady question. What's the very first step to change culture in an organization? So you talk you know, in the book and in the webinar about um, this idea of change culture. 
Easier said than done, but where would you start? Yeah, well, I think it starts with with uh, you or me or each of us. So, you know, like, we talked about this in the webinar with how Mr. Yoshino is like, you can't just ch- set out to change a culture. You, it's Culture is created by individual people and it's the collective sort of norm that's established. So how can you help? Uh, how, what, how do you show up differently and how does that then influence the broader culture? You know, if, if you think back to the paint story that I told Mr. Yoshino's very first experience, if his managers had acted in a very different way, um, that would have set him on a different course and trajectory. Um, but consistently people were at, you know, responding the same way to different mistakes happening by all these, all these newbies. Well, that was a sign of, of the culture. But really, how do uh, I think this is a big topic, you know, when I, I've been in organ, there's no, no easy answer to this. You're right. But I think about how, how do we show up differently? My mom's a therapist. And so I grew up with that, that model. And she's always talked about the dynamic. A dynamic is what exists between people or different you know, objects. And by changing yourself, you automatically change the dynamic. And I see the same thing about uh, a culture as well. So how do we start? rewarding the types of behavior that create the culture that we want to be seeing mm-hmm. and how do we how do we start with ourselves because we can't change anyone else but we can help provide the conditions for people to change themselves um, and then how do and it gets back to how do we change ourselves as well because it's not i i may you i'd be curious to see how your your perspective on this but so many times like when i especially earlier in my career we're asked to change the culture. We want to create a lean culture in this hospital, and right. you know, we'll start with the start with projects of the middle managers without really the the senior executives having skin in the game too. And we had to help help shift the shift the mindset from everyone else out there needs to change to I also play a role in this. And so, how do what are all the things we all need to be doing to change in alignment with that vision of what the future looks like? Yeah, I mean, I think um, culture or acceptance of change, you know, starts in the mirror and it starts one person at a time and, and builds from that. I mean, I think, uh, and you know, it's another thought that comes to mind is, you know, when people say change the culture, like we'll change it to what that almost feels like jumping mm. to a solution or, or people, are, you know, um, maybe spend more time defining the target condition when in, I think it can be helpful to step back and say, well, what's the current state culture? How would you describe the culture? It's probably not all bad, what is helpful, what are things that are unhelpful or, or gaps? Um, and, and, and to talk about that before thinking about what the, what the culture is going to be, because um, it's always going to be an evolution. Well, right. And, and the same with in personal development, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about how we often talk in these, these I guess, more like adjectives, like we want a culture of no blame, or we want a culture where every, you know, everyone's opinion matters. Okay. That's great. But then what, how do we break that down into specific actions? Like what does it look like when we have a culture of no blame? So what would that mean? What are the actions? Because it's, it's too hard to shift to be a better listener. You need specificity of what does that look like in the same. So the same thing with culture, what does it look like to be in a culture that acts that, that is this way? Uh, and then it gives us tangible actions to move towards. Yeah. So um, final question is, um, it's also a good question. What, what do you, no easy answer, but there's a lot <laughs> we could talk about here. What, what do you suggest for creating a culture that lets people generate ideas? How do you move in that direction? So first in, you know, 
strip out anything with like idea systems and all of that, which can be enablers. I'd say about, again, going back to this principle of how do you ask questions and distribute thinking responsibility um, across the organization so that it's uh, not just the leaders or the process improvement people that are the ones coming in with all the, the expert answers, but how do you start asking more questions to draw out the thinking of people? And how do you not shoot down ideas? Um, because then people aren't going to come, come forward. You can set boundaries on like, those are things we'll explore or not um, explore, but how do you reward the coming forward with, with thinking? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, this is something we care about a lot at Kinexus. I mean, I, I care about this um, yeah. personally as well. Um, you, you touched on a lot of really good points. Um, I mean, some of it is leaders um, setting direction or setting expectations. And, you know, the expectation is we know everybody uh, is creative and, and people are um, experts in their own work and, you know, setting expectations about um, wanting people to participate. But then we've got to take it further. You know, we can't just um, ask one time or set an expectation. It comes back to, I mean, I, I've, I've got this model, you know, that you shared earlier again of leaders can set direction and say, we really value people's ideas and we'll be better as an organization and more successful if we tap in to all of those ideas and then provide support yep. when people speak up um, and um, help develop ourselves as leaders and develop the people who are doing Kaizen. That's why I think that model that you shared from Mr. Yoshino uh, applies in a lot of different ways. It's not enough to just set direction right. or set a target. Everyone's got to do um, four uh, improvements per year. And then we debate, well, is it four or is it five? Yeah. Or maybe on average, it's 4.73. Um, well, supporting right. people. Makes totally. And also, uh, I think part of that too is how do we help develop people to have the capability and confidence to solve the problems at the right appropriate level within their, their, you know, their, their span of control or authority. If it's a frontline person, their, their daily work or a more exec senior person, you know, a broader span of control and how are they supporting the people below them? Because not everyone has the training or th of thinking through problems or have never been asked about their opinion. So we have to approach each person in a different, a different way. And this gets back to something we talked about in the webinar too, the balance between challenge and nurture, this caring and support. And so we need both to challenge people to think, to move, to move forward, think higher, but also to have a safety net there too, where we're not letting them totally fail. And uh, they may, they may fail in their learning, but not to the, so far that we're not we're not catching them as well and, and helping lift them up so that there's this sense this balance of that yeah. so i think it's i think it's both of those yeah well katie thank you for doing you know the additional q a and discussion here your webinar you know i triggered uh, a lot of thoughts and questions and, and reflections for people um, we want to remind people about katie's book learning to lead leading to learn lessons from toyota leader asao yoshino on a lifetime of continuous learning. Yep. Excited about the book. And, and Katie, if you remind people where that where they can find you, your website, where they can learn more about the book. Yeah, great. So uh, for the book, you can just go to learning to lead, leading to learn.com and it will direct you to the page. It's also available for pre-order now in January. The book will be released in both paperback and Kindle ebook version in July. 
and just a warning right now, the pre-order seems to be only available in the US. So I've been getting a lot of queries for people around the world. Uh, don't worry, it will be available in paperback. Uh, I just don't know what's uh, right now. Amazon's doing some funky things um, in our pandemic world. And then for to go to visit me, go to kbjanderson.com. Uh, some people are wondering what the BJ is. My it was my uh, maiden name was Brian Hyphen Jones, so my initials are KBJA, and so that's uh, that's the backstory behind there. Yeah. But come and contact me. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter, all the same handle, KBJ Anderson. So yeah, excited and uh, love always talking with you, Mark. So oh, thanks for the support. No, I always enjoy it as well, and I'm really excited about um, the book and um, continuing the conversation over time here. Yeah, Thanks. Great. Thank you.